Hello, I'm Nick Hussey, the co-founder of Fram, and this is the Fram Jacket Podcast, where we talk to interesting people and have a really good chat about the big stuff and the small stuff, because that's what life is better with. And this is a perfect example. It's with Matt Stevens, who is very well known in the cycling community, and probably not very well known beyond it, um, but is a lovely human being and a fascinating one at that. And me and Matt have been friends for a while, and we could just talk and talk. And I think you get a good idea of the sort of chemistry and balance that we have. Um, God, that sounded insipid. So I will let you enjoy it. Um, there is a lot of background noise, and I'd like to think that that just adds to the ambiance and the realness of it all. Um, you might find it frustrating, in which case you can just leave um, and sorry. Okay, let's go. <laughs> right, uh, the reason we're laughing is because there's a wind blow in the background, but hopefully yeah. we'll be an issue. Matt, what are you having? I'm having a pint of lager, not just an ordinary pint of lager. As we're in Bradford and Avon, I've gone for Camden Town Brewery's best hell lager. Stop moving on the table, we talked yeah, about that. Yeah, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm really, I like to touch stuff and move things around and wave my hands. It's a okay. shame we're not videoing this at the same time. Can I sellotape your hands to the chair? It's, it wouldn't be me. If I, if I ended up sitting on my hands, you wouldn't get quite as much rubbish coming out. So we need my great. hands to be part of this. Okay, and how are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Um, enjoying my newfound freedom as a, as a freelance type person. But very busy, happy. Um, <clears throat> seeing my young son a lot, which makes things just brilliant. brilliant. So no, it's, I'm really happy, mate. In all seriousness, I'm, I'm really happy, busy and having fun. That sounds awesome. You can ask me. I, I, sorry. <laughs> uh, I, well, I did earlier on, and I don't want to repeat it, really. But no, but, how are okay. you, Nick? Because you, oh, look, very you know kind. what? You oh, look it's very, very kind of you very well. Me. I am drinking uh, an Estella Estella Dowra beer. Oh no, we're gluten free. It is gluten free, and it's really nice. And you couldn't tell. It I is tell nice. you, if we put if we put this pint, which has got gluten in, it, I believe, next to that pint, and we blindfolded you, and you did a taste te- taste test to see if they were gluten free, you wouldn't know. And I, that's how good that I tastes. I think that's better. This look isn't the, an ad. Look at the golden hue on that. This isn't an ad. No. Uh, although, if Estella do want to... Estrella? Estrella. 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 Yeah, Estrella. Continental chap. Estrella, um, Do you want to sponsor me? That would be really nice. I bet they probably would. Drink. I'm not being funny with it. I bet they would after this, to be honest with you. Thanks, Windblower. Um, the other one. Yeah, the other question. What was that? How am I doing? How are you doing, yeah. Oh, how you are you? that one. Yeah, no. Apart from the beer... You're looking very, very well. Looking, you're looking, you're glowing, actually, mate. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you are um, glowing. I've got my sunglasses on, so it's dampening it somewhat. <laughs> uh, I just had a holiday with my family in Cornwall, so the uh, first proper one in a very long time. So I'm feeling uh, quite relaxed, although a little bit angsty about just launching from just because there's lots to do. I've got to get it out there and stuff. Um, so that was the long answer. You gave me a long answer as well, so thank you very much. Yeah, no, I love Cornwall. Um, yeah. But I also, from what I've seen, and again, this isn't an ad, just a little bit disappointed not brought one of your jackets along for me to wear during the interview and to sort of finger and touch and stroke. The very but, fact you know, that you finger them, which concerns well, me. Well, just put my fingers through any buttonholes that might be there, but I have a feeling there's no buttonholes. It's more no, like No, I was tempted, and then I, I just really... Because they're, they're the early samples, but I haven't got the, the finished thing with me. Um factory stuff but I just hate people seeing imperfect stuff I'm a bit finicky about it Emily would probably shout at me um, but um, 
but you'll get one. I'll, I'll get over the disappointment, but, uh, you'll, you'll but anyway. One, don't worry. Um, but thank you very much for introducing that uh, product placement. So, what the hell is this podcast? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of This intrigued. podcast is um, just a chat. So I think that chatting is a lost art because we mostly talk to each other on social media. What I'll do, I'll put down my phone then. Hold on a minute. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, um, but it's true though, isn't it? It's true. You see so many people engaged in conversation, um, I use the word loosely, with their phones, and we're all guilty of it, but it, the art of conversation, I think, is not being lost, but in danger of being eroded away to the point that it's quite normal not to, to go out with your friends and kind of and just look at your phone. And I think some of the best times I've had in my life with groups of friends have been when you're just chatting and talking mm. bollocks and just having a laugh, not even setting, setting the world to rights, but just chatting. Yeah. It's, it's, we are social creatures and um, we shouldn't lose that. I mean, phones are brilliant, but we need to almost like say, hey, we're gonna have a, a safe time or a, a time where we need to put our devices away. And apart from using them for podcasts, for, you know, podcast because they're an amazing bit of technology they're almost like a computer in your pocket and that's what they are <laughs> um, oh, um stop being amusing so Sorry. no it's not we don't want that um but uh, one of the so there's a number of reasons why i think that's important because first of all you know mental health men's mental health stuff like that you know it can be improved a great deal by having social contact and friends and listening to stuff but not just that i think the wider really massive issues like we both spend time on social media yeah and you just see really really scary full-on interactions that you wouldn't have in face-to-face people see i think i have two sort of points of view about trolling and people who are very rude on social media one is that they are I think you're being a bit, a bit, uh, a bit too I don't know, conservative with the word rude. Um, I think it's it's beyond that. It's kind of vitriolic. It's kind of uh, aggressive. There's, yeah. there, it's 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 a scary place quite often. Well, and I think it, I think it's a wonderful playground. But I quite often see these fights brewing and just leg it back off to the toilets and hide for a bit, and I don't get involved. No. So easy to use a, a playground analogy, but. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful place, but it's also a very toxic place at the moment. Yeah, I think it's toxic for... I think... So I have this thing about people. <clears> I think <throat> all people are essentially good and then sort of go astray for various reasons that may or may not be their fault. Um, and that's quite a sort of Guardian Easter way of thinking about things. But I have, having been trolled, I learnt to forgive and feel better about it because I decided... In fact, I found out <laughs> that those people were a specific, a specific person was very deeply unhappy. And you just don't do that stuff unless you are. But at the high, further end of the scale, if you look at nutters like Anne Coulter and, you know, the orange one, etc., that stuff is being used, that, that hate is being built up to, to change the world. And I think that if we had a world... <laughs> A utopia where people just sat in a pub or a coffee shop and just talked to each other whether they're conservative or democrat or lib dem or green or wherever they are we'd probably just get on pretty well yeah I, I think simple discourse is 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 a wonderful thing but it's being because i guess and, and I'm, i bet a lot of these people who interact the way they do on social media regardless of the topic um if they were sat in a pub or in a coffee house or just sat on a train chatting to somebody they, they wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't be the way they they be they, they, they wouldn't be the 
the person that they are on social media because of course they hide you know that there's it's a and a lot of, a lot of trolls i mean i've fortunate enough never to have been trolled even call it trolling just complete idiots being assholes really yeah but, i've um, seen stuff on your social media i would call it trolling yeah but it's it's more but a lot of the people that do that sort of thing you don't really know who they are but and but usually they're anonymous as well, which that's is a what, bit of a dead giveaway. That's what I mean. And, and that's, that's like, really? That's, like a bit, that's a bit shit, isn't it? But it is, it's the way it is. But I've, never, I've only engaged with that sort of stuff once or twice because it's so emotionally draining. And we spend enough time on our phones anyway and mm. on social media. But to get involved in, in an argument on social media, especially given the amount of space you have to write things, um, for me personally, I know a lot of people clearly well actually actively involved in it but some people to me are consumed by it and uh, and i've got a lot of good things going on in my life and um I've, I've made a conscious decision actually an explicit conscious decision not to get involved in any unworthy in my view debate on social media yeah. because to me social media it you know it's, it is good for news it can be good for debate especially if you're particularly clever at uh, distilling something and crystallising something in just a few words um, I just haven't really got the kind of time for that and it's not that no. I'm not being dismissive of it in that sense I just have not got the the time or or the desire to immerse myself in what I see but it's quite that, toxic debates quite often regardless of subject matter I that, kind of just want to I just that isn't what kind of I want to spend my time doing no and I think if that communication isn't offered with respect and balance and l- any possibility of really listening which usually it isn't then why why bother yeah. you know you like say you've got better much nicer things to do with your life i often re- i don't get me wrong i often and um, generally when i read threads it's when i'm on the toilet because uh, quite often that's where they're not getting you wrong Matt. we all go to the toilet. yeah we all go to the toilet and rather than reading papers or books on the toilet now you know we generally i let's be fair we're on social media aren't we and that's where i quite i look at threads but i never get involved i just read um, and I find them quite, sometimes quite in- interesting, sometimes quite enlightening. More often than not, absolutely mind-bendingly strange uh, how people at, interact on, on, on social media, Twitter in particular. I, I, but I, Instagram, I love. Yeah. Instagram is, it is, it's just, it's just, it's, bloody, nice. it's happy. It's, it's, it's nice. people sharing nice photos and being nice to each other. And it's, that sounds really, really soppy and cheesy. It's like, well, no, because it's, it's what I think. It's what you want. It's what what you kind of want. So, I, I do use Twitter quite a lot, but I don't get involved in anything serious on there. I just have a bit of fun, and but but Instagram, it's just great. You're, you're a very good content creator. Well, yeah, I, I put some right weird stuff on on social media, but why not? But it, hopefully, it's not going to upset anybody, and that's the last thing I want to do. Should we set a, a bit of background? Um, basically, we are sat in a pub next to a lovely river. We are the River Avon. Uh, yep. Um, and the leaf blow has gone away and the shouty people have gone Thank away. Thank goodness. We have a very tinny table which might come up on it the It looks sand. like it's, it was reclaimed at some point. It's got holes in. It has. It's but got it's, rusty holes. It's authentic. It's authentic. Um, I'm expecting our lunch to be served on a slate or a yes. plank of wood with a nail in it. <laughs> um, which is authentic. <laughs> yes. Um, and we, um, we know each other from I don't know like 2013-ish something like that from probably yeah. possibly from Twitter I can't remember no, whether you were introduced it, or weirdly but there's, there's us you know slagging off Twitter and stuff but um, I've, I've met a lot of actually good friends through social media um, um, 
and yeah, I did. I became aware of you through social media and and, the, and your brand. And we and in the early days, I think it was 2013. I went up to the Lake District and did some modelling of your you did. of the ballpoint stuff. That was really we good a, fun. We had a really we had a really good laugh. Didn't that we? was um, yeah, exactly. What was it? Five years ago now, because it popped up on my Facebook, and um, that was a really lovely trip because I met some really nice people. It was funny because I met you and I met Joe Burt, who did Mint Sauce, which yep. is a cycling thing there, which is quite nuts for me because I'm sort of a cycling fanboy but I hate being a fanboy of you know, people as well but I'll talk about that later and then um, also uh, uh, a couple of the models got together and, and became a couple did they? Was, yeah um, so that's very sweet uh, Jess and Josh and um, oh, they're ridiculously oh, attractive a couple aren't they hey, they are. chicken here we go is it to share? should have a place coming I think yeah Okay, yeah, that's, that's coming really as well. Cool. No, that's much. all right. No problem. Thank Did you put you. them through separately, the orders? I don't think so. Okay, let me just check then a minute. Let, that's no cutlery there. Thank you. <laughs> Boom. Right. <laughs> just move that slightly there. Yeah. Just moving the podcast vessel. That's not known in the tech world. Um, that looks like a ba- lovely posh bacon sarnie. It does, actually. It's... Um, um, oh yeah, and it's funny because we dived into that social media thing. But I think that's one of the reasons I like you, Matt, is because you dive into stuff straight away, and that's something I like. Is to I don't I'm not I'm perfectly fine small talk, but I'd much rather do big talk quite fast. And I don't think a lot of people do that. Um, I basically just want to go up to someone and say, "What troubles you? What makes you happy? Yeah, what is. gives you joy? Tell me now." Right. <laughs> And what gives Thank you joy much. is a large piece of place being placed in front of you, isn't it? Exactly. And I've got you a bet. There we go. Even more joy and, and on its way. Thank you very much. We didn't plan any of this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Lovely. No, we did. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Cheers. What a nice lady. Guest of the podcast. It sounds like she she was she was told to do that, but she didn't. Well, um, so yeah. I, uh, and what something we talked about last time we met, because I said, oh, I'd really, I wonder if you do a podcast, is basically that you, if no people don't know who you are, you basically are very well-known in the cycling world. Mm-hmm. You are an ex-British national champion, ex-pro cyclist. Um, you are a commentator on Eurosport and a, and a cycling personality. Um, uh, you're probably not very well-known beyond cycling. Oh, I wouldn't have thought um, so, no. But in that niche, you are got quite a strong following. And so I think the automatic assumption is that you all talk about cycling. I'm also extremely keen on cycling. This embrace cycling wasn't terribly good, but I love it. Um, just sort of potter about and do stuff. And I created a cycling company called Volpine, which is the company that went pop that I talked about in my last podcast. Um, so you'd expect us to just talk about cycling because cycling is what we're probably best known for. Um, but there's a lot more to both of us than that, I'd say. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think so. Um, cycling is a... Again, another cliche of cycling is part of my DNA, you know, um, it, essentially I guess it is because I've been riding a bike since I was a young kid and then competitively since I was 15 or 16. Why did you start cycling? Um, my dad was a keen cyclist. Um, as in a racing cyclist? Yeah, as a racing cyclist. I rode for the, uh, represented the army back in the 1960s and um, was really, you know, Never reached a particularly high level, but was a regular time trialist in the 1970s, 80s. Um, so I, it was always around me. Come here. Um, that was always going in the 70s? out. 70s? Unless born. you were a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was. I was born in 1970. Yeah, yeah. But you were racing in your. 
No, no, no. So you're single digits? No, no. I wasn't racing until I was 16, mm. but it was always around me. So I went to a lot of races um, in the back of the car. Mm. It, you know, when, you know when, when you're a kid in the 1970s, when the car was full, your mum and dad used to put you in the boot. Or, I mean, at <laughs> one point we had four of us, all like between five and seven, in the boot of, of my dad's Citroen on the way to a time trial because because we had too much room for other stuff. Um, so, but yeah, four of us in the boot, like like pets, but we, we, we were children. And, mm. But we're here to tell the tale. I, th- I think I it's consider short, my... I think in the 1980s it, it became illegal. Yeah, so. I think if I put my children in the boot now, I would go to prison and they would be taken from me. It sounds like a bad thing. It was a, but my mum and dad were, were loving people and uh, they cared about us, but they, yeah. they thought... I think I'd been what? in a couple of boots. Um, this, this is how much space we've got in the boot. These are the size of the children. Hey, we can at least get four in. Plus the shopping. What, where do the bikes go? On the roof. Ah, oh, okay. On the roof. And the other adults in the other Would you rather seat. have been on the roof? Probably. But we had a real, we had a lovely time. That's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> how did we get onto that? Cycling. Origins of cycling. The 1970s was a wonderful decade. Was it? ABBA, for, God, for crying out loud. Uh, ABBA. Best, the greatest movie decade of all time. Star Wars, 1977, Jaws, uh, Godfather, Chinatown, uh, Deer One Hunter, Took His Cuckoo's Nest, Deer, Deer Hunter, Hunter, yeah, yeah. Um, to name but six, uh, Shining, Exorcist, yeah, I've never seen The Exorcist, Mate, I'm really bad at horror films, that is a film, a little bit disturbing even now, I've heard, <laughs> but anyway, but we'll maybe save that for our movie podcast coming soon, hmm. I love movies though, I, that's, that's the thing, I do too. I spent a lot of time in London. Isn't that a strange thing that we both like movies? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's, I feel like we kind of, yeah, that we're alone in this world, isn't it, in other movies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know when people say, like me, on my, on my little Twitter thing underneath your, your, your picture, and it says, I think I put in music, movies, comics, bikes, cakes or something. It's a bit, bit rubbish, really, isn't it? Because who doesn't like movies, for God's sake? It's like, it's like saying I like air. So my friend James, beer. who I'm not going to give the surname to just because I don't want to feel like he's having a piss taken out of him. My friend James, when I met him, very creative chap, going extremely well, I feel like sort of soulmates in a way. And uh, I said, so let's talk about movies, you know, because I do that with everyone. And he was like, I've just seen the Saw series. Oh. Because they had, when I was at university, that's all they showed. And I was like, what? You've, what? And I was so appalled and shocked that somebody so creative and so lovely had not seen almost any movies, except the Saw movies because they happened to be on, that I've never really got over it. And it, and it still colours every conversation. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like I, I, I sort of was the, I don't know, what would you call it, the inductor at their wedding and stuff. So very wow. close to him. But, but still, every time I look at him, I just go, huh, movies. Yeah, it's just weird. Well, it's like going out on a bike ride with somebody. Which slightly different, but similar. Parallels. And, um, right, what are we having for drink? Tea or coffee? No, I don't drink tea or coffee. Like, what the actual? Who doesn't drink tea or coffee? I didn't right. drink coffee until last year. Yeah, but you drank tea, though, didn't you? Yes. There we go. Hmm. But it's, it's a stunner. I mean, where'd you go? Where'd you take that? Where'd you take that friendship? It's tough, especially in the modern don't- era. You don't want to get angry in public, mate. No, no it's just a question. No, it wasn't I, anger. Well, it was no, more frustration. It felt rhetorical, really. Hmm. Um, there's always a moment in every conversation where you just feel uncomfortable. And that was it, wasn't it? Well, hopefully that's the only one. <laughs> yeah. Just your coffee anger. 
caffeine anger? No, it was it was more hot, bever hot, hot beverage anger. Yeah. Uh, no, I tipped. The, I was at the point in my meal. Just explain because probably a few of you who may be listening to this um, thought, "What was that sound?" Well, I'm going to describe it to you. It was. I've got a little pot, metal pot, of chips with some greaseproof paper. And um, just to get better. Yeah, and they were they were basically popping out of the top. So for the first few chips, you know, it's no problem at all. But as the chips dwindled, or the supply of chips mm. dwindled, my hand had to go further into the pot to the point my fingers were touching the side, which became a bit uncomfortable. So I thought I'm going to tip the vessel of chips onto my plate, and that was the noise. I feel like you've ruined my podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about oranges cycling, um, and oranges of cycling. Oranges. When of cycling. you said that, I thought. Mm, were we? <laughs> uh, and so I said this was an interview. It does feel like a little bit like an interview because you don't talk very much, Matt. So I have to really encourage you to come out of mm. yourself. Yeah. Um, that was a little joke, I thought. No, no, I just let it slide. Okay, thanks. But you don't talk too much either. No, I'm very said. quiet. Um, so for me, cycling was quite a big deal. I kind of make a big deal about most things, but I was very bad at sport and bullies and suddenly watched the Tour de France on Channel 4 1986 and just thought that's pretty amazing and everyone's really tiny and skinny like me maybe I could do that also I can ride around on my own and escape this boring village I grew up in and um, uh, and did and so cycling became a big deal unfortunately for me because it's interesting talking to you because um, you can tell me whether you feel you did and that's quite a big question but I didn't achieve anything near what I fantasised about because I wanted to win the Tour de France and eventually found out I wasn't very good and that it was never going to happen I did a sports science degree and did some testing and they, I said so how good am I then and they went well you're quite good you could if you really really strain you could maybe get into a national championships and not do very well or but you'll never be a professional cyclist and then my world just sort of opened up below me. Hmm. I was basically pretty fit, and that wasn't really right. enough. Whereas you were clearly very fit. Now, just to give some background, you were very fit, and you were a very good British cyclist at a time when British cycling was a, a cavern, a dark cavern with no sort of funding or sort No, of it, was, um, it was run by just a handful of people in, from out of Northampton. Um, Corby, I believe. Yeah, 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 home of the trouser press. Uh, for those of you who like to uh, frequent travel taverns, but, um, but but no, it yeah, it's just I similar. I, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but you, you say you're inspired by the '86 tour. I went to the '86 tour, my first experience wow. with the Tour of France, and I was on outdoors with my dad with a knotted hang. I had mentioned this before to some people, but I was, I was um, on outdoors. Saw Greg LeMond and Eno come by, and I'd been there for a few days before and afterwards. Um, and I, I did have a moment, even as a 16-year-old, I, I kind of was aware of cycling and clearly was eager to go and see this Tour de France. Um, but to kind of quite literally breathe it in on, on the slopes of Alpe d'Huez, took a photo of Hino and Le Monde as they went by, it, the, the iconic duo that you know, dominated the Tour that year, although they were, they were you know, fierce rivals as well. And I, I, a really lovely moment because um, I took a photo with my little camera with like, disposable can with 24 um, shots in it took a photo stood out in front stepped stepped away as they went past and back then no internet no real access to kind of 
quick news. So all you kind of waited for was Cycling Weekly um, mm. to come out a week later with the pictures, reports of races, and quite often they even results. You wouldn't know the result unless you bought the broadsheets, and they wouldn't always publish yeah. all the results. The, re- the first time you knew a result was a week later, just to put it into context with some people. But oh, yeah. but Winning Magazine was the big glossy magazine around at the time, and they during the Tour de France had a uh, very glossy kind of broadsheet style colour magazine documenting each week of the tour. Mm. Um, I think I've got them. And they were and they were beautiful. They were really, re- I mean, they were enormous. It's like a giant di- uh, Daily Telegraph or New York Times or something. They were that size, mm. folded up. Um, and anyway, went to the tour, took that photograph, um, got about a week and a half later, got the final issue of, 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 of it's the penultimate issue or the final issue of, of Winnie Magazine's synopsis of the tour. And there was an aerial view from a helicopter of, of Alpe d'Huez, you know, the snaking hairpins, the, the ridiculous crowds. And I was counting the hairpins and I could, it was, it was such a, it was taken from such a wide angle that you could actually discern where, where it was. Oh, that's that corner and there's mm. Dutch corner, a couple of hairpins up. Mm. And um, I thought, well, oh, me and my dad were near. The, the corner that, or oh, the, the stretch of Alpe d'Huez that me and my dad were on is, is in this picture and I was searching for him. And I narrowed it down, and right in the centre, I thought, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> and it, it was me, with my knotted hanky on my head, that's what I could tell, why it was me, in exactly the, the point where I was stood. But, even more remarkably, I was actually standing just in front of Hina Le Mans, taking my picture as the helicopter shot took, took mm-hmm. a picture of me. And that's, it was nuts, quite meta. Yeah, but at I, looked, the time I showed my dad. I was like, "Oh my god, that, that's me taking the photo!" And I was like, "There's that photo." Well, you don't photo. have constant video and people no, on no, no. phones and it's stuff. It's just have that. two still images, and obviously the TV. Um, and I did see myself on TV step out of the way at the last minute, just a glimpse. Um, and it was a, that day. I said to myself, "I want to be a pro cyclist." You know, this, was that that's an what, epiphany? Yeah, it was, and um, I loved it. And um, already at that point, I was you know I was only 16, very underdeveloped 16-year-old, really skinny, spindly, knees bigger than my thighs. Mum had to take in my shorts because I was so small. I think borderline stunted actually. Um, I was very late developer as a teenager. You're small. I was Short. small. I was like five foot two at mm. 16. I was tiny. Yeah, I was really small. Um, yeah. But and then 17, 18, I kind of grew up quite quickly and became you know reasonable cyclist. But um, yeah, that my epiphany was at the Tour de France. That's what I want to do, and it took a long, long time for me to ultimately turn pro at the, at the top level. But yeah, it's a very holds a really special place in my heart that trip with my dad to the Tour. Mm. Not just for that reason, just because it was some of the best father and son time I've ever had in my life. Mm. It was just just as a even if you put cycling to one side, it was just quality time with with, with a parent who loves you yeah. and wants to share something with you. It was it was it was just wonderful. Cool. I um. I have a memory of my dad in France because uh, I have quite a tricky relationship with my dad and I haven't seen very much of him. And, um, but we did once go to a crepe in, in Autun in France. And I think I ate like 10 crepes when I was 11. That's a lot of crepes, even by an adult standard, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah it's a bit but, but what I remember is not the crepes, it was the fact that I was sat with my dad, like doing father-son stuff because that was just such a big deal to me. And now with my son. So a boy just walked past below us just now. He's probably about two or three years old. And I heard his little voice. And that's like, that's like an arrow through my heart. Like, even 
somebody else's kids, I just, every time I just go, huh, and then I kind of miss my kids for about 10 seconds and then go, oh, little bastards. And then I go <laughs> so bad again. Um, but, um, but it's funny those sort of, re- so, so what, where this comes to is my son Miller and my daughter, Lyra, I, I think a lot about, oh, you know, I talk to my wife about this as well, was, what are those memories going to be? What are these formative moments? We can't decide what they're going to be. We, we can't engineer them to an extent. We can obviously try and do cool stuff. But, um, you know, I don't, because I have, I find it so difficult to talk to my dad, unfortunately, I've always wanted to say, you know, that trip to a town where we did the pancakes, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, but that's probably my most informative memory. Mm. Um, because I was actually hanging out with my dad, which didn't happen. Um, uh, so I want to make sure I hang out with my kids lots. Yeah. Um, which comes to something which is quite tricky and we can skirt around it if you like, but you haven't been able to spend as much time with your son as you wanted. No, um, and I won't go into the reasons why, but I didn't see my son for about three years. Mm. Um, tricky divorce, basically, is, mm. is, is what I'll give you on that side of things. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty dark, profoundly dark time and it wasn't for want of trying that I didn't, don't, I need to stress no, that. You need to qualify well. yourself, but, but, um, but, but no, it must it was, have been really hard. Yeah, I was um, off work with depression, um, and I'm a, quite an up sort of person, but I suffered um, quite a dark period of depression um, through a difficult divorce. That was hard enough, because I've been married for 20 odd years. Is that years. public knowledge? Yep, I think so. Okay. That's not something I, I, I regularly that, talk actually. about, but yeah. I, I, sus- I suspect uh, No, I don't, I don't think the, the depression side is. I mean, um, it was, uh, but I'm, I'm a very up sort of person, very positive. Hmm. Um, get up and go sort of guy really but sometimes um, you just get punched in the face yeah and um, that was a very difficult time but the, the most yeah, profoundly challenging time was not seeing my son mm. so but but now thankfully we although we live at different ends of the country he doesn't live with me we see each other as regularly as, as, as his time and my time at permits um, saw him just a couple of weeks ago he came to where I live in Bradford and we went out on a little bike ride he's not a cyclist but he's a lovely charming funny little chap and um, we had a blast um, so, yeah, that, some, some dark, some dark years, uh, to say the very least. But, but no, yeah, that um, the bond between you know um, a parent and a child is is um, something primal, um, and uh, and it was a world, as a no doubt you might be coming onto, but as a, as a little kind of segue in. I worked in child protection when I was in the police for 12 years. The latter part of my police career was in child mm. protection, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, and primarily spent time with, with families, dysfunctional, fractured families. And um, so I kind of, <clears throat> and then just towards the end of my police career, that, that, that situation happened to me. So I was still a practicing, for want of a better word, police officer with my own, you know, family falling apart. and. Um, sorting out other people's issues as well so it's quite and then that's a lot amount to deal with yeah fast forward a few years and I'm working in cycling media and um, strangely enough I don't get stressed very often because of the quite remarkably deep multifaceted perspective that working in that arena and area and also the, the kind of experience my personal life gave me as well time for a break sometimes breaks can be sort of funny um, and contrasty like 
podcast one. In this case, especially because I'm talking to someone else and their issues, I didn't really feel it was appropriate. So we're gonna use the Mudi Electronica instead. Um, but there will be lots of lightness with the darkness coming up in a second. But yeah, just for your information, we have a now. We're, we're at a beautiful location, but it's quite active over on the left-hand side, isn't it? Just the, other, uh, the, the other side of the Avon, we have a reversing vehicle. Oh. Uh, but, but yeah. um, so I don't think, I think for the, the people who, who know you, they know cycling persona, ex-national champion, all that stuff. And I think that also, as I'm interested in personalities, and I sort of qualified your personality-ness, I've worked with sort of big personalities, small personalities, when I used to work in film. And I always really, really wanted to talk to them about what it's like, because I would imagine it was probably far less fun than it should be. Um, it's very hard to just go up to someone and say, hey, can I have a really heavy conversation with you about stuff? But, but obviously we know a lot more about that now, because people who are very big personalities are much more open about their lives, the trials and tribulations. I see a lot on social media people just say, well, basically they're rich, so F them. I'm not swearing. I have sworn on the other podcast, mm. but I'm not sorry in this one because there's some little children below me. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, stuff them because they're rich. They can take it. Now, I'm not saying you're rich, but uh, bring it back for a second. Is, is everyone's lives have shit in them. The kids have gone. Um, and, um, and this is just true. And it's this, I was listening to a podcast last night for an American and he was religious and I found it very interesting. I'm very I'm fascinated by religion, I'm an atheist, but, but something that the Bible offers us, for instance, are really great parables. And walk a mile in somebody else's shoes is something I live by very much, is you never know the shit that people are going through. You can never tell. Um, and, and so, for instance, you know, something that helps me with my trolling, which is like a feature of last year that really literally broke me down, was that I got over that and felt better about that because I just thought, you know what? What on earth must be going on in their lives because of that? And in the, the end, it turned out that the main person in that was actually very ill and I believe they died, I'm not sure, but that, that's horrific and it's really, really sad. Anyway, so bringing this back is people would have known you as a racing cyclist, yeah. essentially, yeah. that's all. But in the background, you were going through some, most of your life was probably full. I don't know how. Were you riding a bike during that time? Um, yeah, I was also man I was managing the Sigma Sport cycling team, Continental cycling team as well. Wow. Although that did end in at the beginning of 2012 because actually... Oh, so it's it, not it, that it, long ago then? No, so it became um, my... I was working, although I had time off, um, and I was running the Sigma Sport team. I'm now back doing some work with, which is great. Uh, like a family, those guys, really great bunch of people. But, um, yeah, riding you're my back bike. With now as well. Yeah, riding my bike, um, being a police officer, doing the job that I did, and then training as well, uh, meant that something had to give. And uh, ultimately, it was the team, so I walked away from the team. Uh, and that was difficult as well, because I've been, been with this, the Sigma team for 10 years, actually, at that, at that point. So I thought something's, and, and I'd, and I'd broken my leg as well very badly in 2011 so I'd that could curtail my racing career um, so I still still rode my bike but I was the, the manager which was busy enough you know logistics and stuff to sort out and, mm. and riders personalities and stuff I thoroughly enjoyed it but I thought I can't do this for the timing I need a bit of a break and, and I'd also left the marital home as well um, so it was 
it's probably the most difficult kind of year I think of my life mm. um, aside from when my well our son was born uh, and he was born at 25 and a half weeks so wow. he, he was two pounds when he was born so he nearly he was he shouldn't be here so so, so that and then that so, so yeah my son being born premature was far in excess and that, that was far more stressful than the worrying and um, and hard than my depression and, and but my, yeah right on the border in fact it may have changed uh, of um, a, the, the abortion only, period as yeah well. only a few months before a year before um, because I remember speaking to one of the midwives and she said you do realise that uh, we wouldn't have uh, given him any assistance had this been like two years ago because we wouldn't have considered him to be a person and we get into ethical kind of issues here don't we but mm. but they but they did and he's and they did warn us that he's probably most likely going to be physically or mentally disabled quite quite profoundly mm. um, autism deafness blindness and um, but somehow as each you know he, he, he survived firstly and as uh, he was quite little for a long time but but now he's nearly, nearly my height and uh, as normal as a as a 17-year-old boy could be. Amazing. With no, yeah, nothing. Yeah, Fantastic. I, and again, I'm not a religious man, but there by the grace of God, as, yeah. as, a, as a throwaway phrase. But uh, but I think it was the you know, luck and also the uh, hard-working, just the, the wonderfully dedicated staff at the hospital that looked after mm. him. But, um, and everything else, everything aligned. And thank goodness, because he's, he's great. Fantastic. Something that just came into my mind just then was um, it was going back to abortion. Then it basically, I I believe that um, I believe that we shouldn't ban abortions or anything like that. I'm a liberal-minded person, but just talking about that, I'm like, okay, you know, there are certain things we should always question, and this brings me back to something I'm sort of obsessed by, which is about always listening to the other side and always listening to other people. There are some people who do want to ban abortion, which I very vehemently disagree with. But, but if we stop listening to other people, even if we disagree with them, then we're just going to go further apart. And this comes full circle back to social media, and it also comes back to political discourse. As I can remember, I was really into politics. My dad was a real full-on lefty, and, but also politics was quite interesting in the 80s. You, know, you had spitting image, and you know, politics was usually the main thing on the news every well, night. Well, you knew where you stood. You were either blue or red, weren't you? Yeah, well, quite I you say that, but a lot of people sat in the middle. But you'd you'd, you'd watch the news. You'd you'd look at debates, and there's you'd relative, make your mind up. There's relative clarity on your decision, uh, I, I think. Because I they think. stood some, for something. Yeah, that's what I yeah. meant. There was, a, there was yeah. a, what I'm trying to say is there was a clear identity in the political mm. parties back then. And but there were also clear personalities as well. Oh yeah. Like so, I grew up in Kenneth Clark's, Clark's constituency, and he is, if you're not a UK listener, he is a. Uh, centre-right, uh, very well-known Tory MP. He's been Chancellor of the Exchequer, his second biggest position in the government. And when I was growing up, because I hated the Tories, you know, I hated him. Now, as it turned, and I, I've had, I, I've had a screaming row with him. I said I was screaming, he was calm. He's speaking some of the, some of the most sense that uh, out of anybody at the moment. Yeah. In, in, rela- in relation to the, the, the world order, you know, Brexit, Trump, everything. He speaks very sagely and very wisely and but, openly as well and openly but but also he he's he's also encourages you know uh, debate as well and uh, and as you say discourse he, but he does speak a lot of sense um that is grounded in nothing that's nothing more simpler than good human good humanity and and also 
fucking common sense as well, which is is bloody hell. It's almost like gold dust now, isn't it? Common sense. I, I, I don't know, I may be speaking very simplistic terms, but that's why I don't engage in a lot of this stuff on, on social media because mm. it's kind of gone, you know, and you're, you're, you're um, nobody kind of values a view. If you have a view that is contrary to somebody else's, you are causing them, a, them a, an offence, and that's like, no, it's not. I just have a... I have a different point of view, and and to be honest with you, I'd really like to listen to what you've got to say about the subject as well, because I might learn something. Yeah, I've opened up the debate <laughs> you know before. I, mean? I said, look, let's talk about it. I'm being calm. Oh, you're a cunt because so and so, and it's like, well, okay, so we're not going to have a debate then. So let's just shut it down. Mm. Um, I really hate blocking people, but I read recently. I don't block. I only mute. Yeah, so I found out. I also I do mute some people. I haven't muted many people, but so yeah. a couple of slightly stalkery people on Twitter who seem to sort of like or re- reply. You're or... an attractive man. You know, <laughs> you, know um, you design jackets. You're, you're looking good. I mean, you're, you're shiny. Shiny? Yeah, you're always shiny when I see you. I like this aura. Oh, thank you. Mm. I thought you meant like a sweaty man. A little bit of that. It is a, it is a close day, okay. but generally speaking, in all weathers, you have this shine. That's very nice. Of you. Thank you. I'm always deeply uncomfortable now. Cheers. Um, but, uh, no, I mute, I mute a few people, mainly because I just, they kind of creeped me out because they would just seem over-engaged with, um, uh, you know, like a stalky way. I have been kind of semi-stalked a little bit. And um, it's very strange. It's like, uh, 6,000 followers on Twitter. But anyway, but but I don't like muting because then occasionally people, somebody says, uh, like this guy, Bob, keeps trying to say hello to you and you're, you're ignoring him and I go oh I muted him so I don't know <laughs> and it turns out he's been quite nice and I'm like oh god um, it's people a minefield ch- change. but the thing is social media social media doesn't really matter that matters to me actually my life has been changed by social media because my old company Volpine that was built off social media I met so many people including yourself off, off Twitter mm-hmm. back when Twitter was a really interesting place I'd say interesting is the word I deliberately used. Now it's a it is a minefield to be negotiated, and and I have constant debate because I have a useful sort of six thousand followers of which many people, you know, have sort of followed my journey and I followed theirs. I sort of go, oh, okay, I should continue and engage with that because I need to build this company and because I shouldn't give up on it. I don't like giving up on stuff and throwing it away. But at the same time, I just wondered if my life would be better if I just threw it all in the bin. Um, because my life is filled already. I just don't know how I can cope with social media. But I also found lots of interesting things out on social media. Unfortunately, algorithms seem to have identified that I quite like Love Island. Never watched it. I've never watched it. Because I know that if I do, I w- it will be like crack cocaine. And I will just be hooked. And I'll be sucked into this vortex of of this vacuous vortex of which I'll inhabit and then I'll emer- emerge out the other side and think oh shit what the fuck have I done for the last month do you like so, pop culture yes I, I, I love it uh, mm. but I, I haven't got time for all of it no um, so, well, it's impossible again another conscious decision I bet it's great it, I mean again um, it's fun for God's sake it's it's indicative of our times but a lot of people enjoy it it's fun but it's something that I know it would be a little bit addictive so I, I'm just keeping away from that Love Island gives me the fear. I think I've I, seen little clips, like just 10, 15 seconds of, of conversation on it. I, I use the word loosely. It just again. feels like just, I don't. 
thought, okay, I'm just going to leave it. Just it just feels like more pressure on young people to be a certain way and to have perfect bodies and all this stuff. And maybe we're overthinking it, but I think a lot about my kids and them growing up with these sort of pressures. I mean, I see in my kids already that they're interested in the clothes they're wearing and, you know, whether they look good when they come out the door. They're two and five. Right. I actually don't want that. You know, and I don't know whether that's them and their personality because it can be, mm. whether it's coming from us or from somewhere else. Um, Five's pretty young to be to have that. Obviously, they, they have an awareness of self, but to that extent, it's quite quite intriguing. But both me and Emily are really into clothes, um, and probably a little bit vain. Um, and you wonder, does, is that so? Kids pick up on things, mate. They might see mm. you like preening. <laughs> and if you're preening, Christ. if you and I know, and I've heard reports, unverified, but. Five hours preening a day is a lot, and um, I, I, know, I, think I, I think this is where we we'd probably edit, isn't it? Um, <laughs> just feel like this is bullying. Now. Kids, kids, kids. You know, they will be a product of their environment. And um, what do you think you were born as? What do you think was innate in you? Got rid of that one. Mm. Partly because I'm chewing as well. Sorry, people don't want to hear that in a podcast. Well, that's too late. So shall I start? So I think what was innate in me was like this gregariousness and this fascination with the creative and the human. I love people and personalities and I want to find out about people and that's generally been a theme. I think because of my bullying and being quite lonely at school and stuff, I had a really rough time at school, I became very, very quiet and shy, lacking confidence and that came back out when I left uni and uh, I think the moment that that changed this is what I'm interested in and I was going to go into you with you mm. and I'll allow you to speak in a second is that so I think what clicked me back to being me was I had a gun put to my head by a gangster and mm. I'm not going to go into the story because it's a bit sensitive but basically I, I had a gun put to my head and I had a choice it was a microcentric choice and I remembered what I'd been told uh, by experts to do which is not to show fear not to back down some people in a pub if somebody's being a bit leery then you know you've got an option to back down and I've used that many times you know and I'm no expert but I've been told this type of person you can't show weakness and so I called him a cunt and told him to go fuck himself and it worked and it was the most it's not the most terrifying moment of my life the most terrifying moment of my life was probably my son's birth but um, but it was certainly the most hardcore moment in my mm. life. And then I started realising I'd done something I really didn't think I was capable of. But I thought I'd been a, a bit of a wuss um, for most of my life and given up on stuff and backed out of yeah. situations I shouldn't have and been quite fearful. And suddenly I thought, well, actually, I've done something pretty fucking tough. So maybe I'm better than I thought I was. So maybe I'll be confident again. And it clearly didn't just happen that quickly or easily. But it's funny how these things... And I, I identified this about 15 years into my relationship with Emily. I said, you know, I think what the making of me was, because I met Emily shortly after that incident, was the gun thing. Because instead of capitulating, I did the opposite. Yeah. Which was so, I thought, out of character that I just thought, well, I can do that, I can do anything. I think, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very clear moment, isn't it? I think for me... Um, to answer your first question, what, what innately the type of person I was, I think I was. Um, like my mum and I like, are very loving. Both my mum and dad are still around, thankfully. They're they're separated, 
but my I had a very very happy childhood um, but classically 70s my dad was uh, in the cops he's in oh, the right. football he was uh, he was a heavy drinker as were most police officers in the 1970s I think right. um, but we you know went on holidays traveled around so he's go to France on the camping holidays every year um, I actually ended up my first appearance on TV was remember a show called Wish You Were Here with Judith Chalmers yeah. I ended up on that in like 1975 really? yeah because they were filming at a campsite it's basically a, hol- a holiday review show wasn't it it was a yeah. great show and that was when we only had three I'm channels I'm not sure if it was a great it? show uh, y- yes it was it was a solid show no it was a great show okay. uh, one, of the greatest right. show, one of the greatest shows of that era <laughs> uh, and uh, we all love a bit of Judith uh, lovely hair oh. as well Judith Chalmers lovely anyway I was on that I don't know where I'm going with this but anyway I think my innate se- I, 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 I liked having fun. I was, um, I wouldn't call it a class joker or anything, but um, I generally, I didn't really, I think I was quite a bright lad at school, but I didn't really apply myself. And mum and dad weren't academics. Um, and although they encouraged me at school, I was a bit, I was quite fit early on, so I was really good at sport. And uh, I didn't, I, I, I never had any experiences of bullying, um, anything like that. I had a lot of friends. Um, and that sounds a bit sounds a bit bland, doesn't it? But I, I had a really happy, up, generally happy upbringing, uh, and I just like a very sensitive chap. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I am. I think I've be- become more sensitive. I kind of really in tune with people's feelings. I think. And um, my my grandfather, who's now who passed away twenty odd years ago, on my mum's side, was uh, we've always been quite a tactile kind of family. So. Uh, less so from my dad's side, it was slightly more formal and uh, traditional, a bit more conservative, although my, um, my grandmother on my dad's side was a wonderful woman, uh, but she brought my dad upon her own. My dad's father left, he didn't, even, didn't know his, his, his dad, um, so had a more formal, conservative, slightly harsher working class upbringing. But I, I was shown a lot of love, and, um, and, and again, going back to my police years, I, I've, I've seen families, I've seen children in particular who have never have never known what love is and um, and when you see a child generally speaking in terms of the character is fully formed at around seven years of age and it's pretty much irreversible so if a child hasn't been shown love or even been held by a parent um, a family member and shown love that child is going to be irreparably damaged for the rest of their life there's going to be things that you can put in place to kind of assist that but essentially speaking they're, they're not going to be in a very good place. And I've seen hundreds of children in, in, in those kind of situations and dealt with the, the after effects. What's that done to you? Um, just made me more aware of how important it is to I don't think it's corroded any part of you? Or? No. I think, it, I, I think what I do have and what I quickly developed was a very cynical side. It certainly hasn't corroded. I think it's, I think it's made me more complete. Uh, but I am, I do, I like a lot of dark humour, not so much sick humour, but I, I do like comedy, I love comedy, um, but the darker side of comedy as well as... So you don't get the sort of, so for me, I imagine having to deal with that stuff, I, I just didn't wait up, you know, with night terrors, you know. No, I didn't, I didn't suffer from any, not because I, just it, a lot of, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I, I, what I did do was think a lot, and um, thought how lucky I was, and thought that I'm in a, you know, even, you know, I'm 20 grand a year as a copper back in the day, um, I felt quite privileged really and I, and I only joined the cops and then this is kind of reasonably well documented although I'd imagine not everybody knows that after my stint 
riding at the highest level within the McCartney team, I was left on the dole. The team folded early into 2001, potted history. I ended up with no job, um, sold my bike to pay the mortgage um, and went to sign on for the first time in my life at 31 after the year before riding the Giro d'Italia. So from riding the Giro d'Italia um, and doing what I'd always wanted to do since I was a child to going to the dole office was quite a... I wouldn't call it fall from grace, but it was quite a precipitous drop. Um, and I thought, what the hell am I going to do? So, you know, and I, I hadn't been to university. I hadn't got, I'd got one O level. All my, my life had been based on just, I'd worked at Monks Suspenders, experiential really, but with a, a, a focus on riding my bike. And I was left with this, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I can't be a pro cyclist anymore. So... Worked at Morrison's supermarket on the night fill, filling shelves. It was utterly, it was just so depressing. And then um, had a cup of tea with a mate and um, he said, why don't you, quite literally, a friend of mine, Mike, had a, why don't you join the police? And I was like, really? He said, yeah, why don't you join the police? I was like, he said, you don't need any qualifications really, you know. Um, you don't need to be in a university at that point. So I thought, bloody hell, and it pays reasonably well. So I applied for the police, and um, six months later, I was I was a, I was a copper. Um, PC? Well, yeah, PC for the first few. Well, I was PC all my career actually. Um, so when you were doing child protection, was that just a, as a, I was just a PC? A Bobby, not as a detective. No, I wasn't a detective, but I was plain clothes. But okay. I specialised in in that area. But it quickly became apparent, and that's the one the thing I liked about the police, and I think that many other officers who've been through the job will will agree is that. Very, very quickly, you find you learn a lot about yourself, and very much like your experience with a gun being put to your head, you end up dealing with very dynamic, risk-heavy situations. Mm. But you, you don't just have to deal with them; you have to make the call. You have to, you basically have to either lock somebody up, you might have to use force on somebody. But most of all, and the, and the, the biggest learning, the biggest learning curve for me was I, I found that I was very, very good at talking to people. Um, and the more situations, the more obtuse situations I found myself in, the more I was able to use the gift of just speaking. Not the gift, but yeah, I, I was able to well, speak to that's people. That's what we're using now. And, and, you know and, bring, and bring situations down. Because you've got the skip lorry and the shouty people in the graveyard. And we need another pint. And we need another drink. Should we stop it there for a second? Yeah, we're going to take just a short break. We're back after these messages. Always the pro. So me and Matt carried on talking just the way we had um, while we were recording. Um, but I didn't come good on a promise from last week for podcast number one that I would improve on the sound quality and professionalism. Um, it's not my fault! Um, but maybe I shouldn't have chosen a location that was outdoors next to a busy thoroughfare. Uh, so yeah, still not very clued up on podcasting, but getting better. You can hear me learning, grinding away towards some sort of improvement as we go through the podcast. But hopefully, it's enjoyable. Um, back to Matt. Um, so we're back again, um, Matt. What are you having again? I'm having another Camden Hell, and it's a Monday. But the, well, the sun's not quite out, is it? It's rather occluded. But it's, it's a lovely warm day. Monday could be your Friday. It could be. I had a long week. Yeah, I did a seven-day stint. But Blimey. yesterday in particular was, uh, for a commentator, quite a busy day. I was jetting around. I was in Hungary at one point, 
then I was in Norway, and also Hamburg. So it was a busy day of jetting around on various charter flights. Yay. And do you like that? <laughs> yeah, that was great. No, we're all in the studio, obviously, doing those races, but that's quite rare. Um, but this time of year, um, there's a glut of races. There was Utah on at the same time as well, and the Tour of Germany is just... Well, that's, that starts next week. You do get but to like, go to nuts. some races, though, don't you? We do, yeah. Um, with Eurosport, a lot of the stuff is off-tube. So we, we do from a little studio in Felton. Off-tube? Off-tube is yeah, not on-site. It's in the telly? Yeah, just basically, yeah. Piped through the feed, and then we uh, lay our voices over the top live. Um, but, yeah, most is in the studio. But for the Tour de France, Giro d'Italia, Paris-Nice, um, Paris-Roubaix... And sometimes the tour of Switzerland, we are on site. But I work for other companies. I work for IMG a little bit as well. So this week I'm off to to Belgium. Who, who are they? IMG. They're a big, one of the biggest entertainment media companies in the world who deal with um, entertainment and sport. Um, so they've got big offices in, uh, in just outside the M25. Big state-of-the-art facility there. So a lot of the cycling that you'll see on TV, although you, you might see it on Eurosport or you might see it on ITV, IMG basically run the production facility and they're probably one of the biggest production um, companies in the world. What a massive fish. Um, so the impression I get from this... That obviously wasn't very out- interesting, was it? You're just gazing out into the river, no, no, Avon, looking I, at fish. I'm just very easily distracted and it was a big... Clearly. <laughs> no, but what, what I get from this, what I'm interested in, is that I, when I met you, you were at a crossroads in your life. Mm. It was police, it was the potential to create a career in cycling. Yep. And as I've said to you a few times, and it just seems to be getting better from where I see it, you're just becoming more of a fixture in cycling. And it's worked, basically, which I think is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think I, I owe a lot of that to... Uh, here's a coffee. Oh, thank along. you very much. Any sugar at all? Yeah, please. Dirty. Look at that. Enjoy. Thank you. And it's those cubes that are more like... I call them hipster cubes because they've had the corners rounded off or they look like you might have picked them off of a beach rather than come through a production line and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Do you think that was a little bit of a dig? Nope. Since I'm putting two in my coffee. You're having two but you've got yeah, a double espresso. Because I'm being quite good with what I'm eating at the moment. So which means that I'm fine sugar instead. Yeah. yeah that's always a good move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was no, just no, being silly. No, it's, it's, it's fair. Harsh but fair. It's, but fair. But, uh, it's probably the harshest thing I'm, I'm going to hear for a long time. You gave it to me. Yeah. Looks nice though. But no, I think I, there are oh, yeah, moments I in your life where you have to make decisions. Yeah. And it, it seems to have paid off. I've, so far, I mean, it was, um, yeah, my career, very, I mean, we, we took before we came, before we started actually the podcast, we were talking about our different kind of career paths in terms of, and we're a similar age, aren't we? And we've had to press the reset button on several occasions. Um, quite often, just by the circumstances that have prevailed and you've been faced with have forced you not into a corner really because I don't think I've ever been forced into a corner I've just been given a series of different choices um, and uh, whoa just for context we're in rather middle class Bradford and Avon but there are a drunken couple having a row under the bridge on the River Avon so if you can hear I don't know if you can hear this but it's it's adding a different kind of texture and sheen yeah. to the proceedings I, I find it quite difficult to hear because my dad's an alcoholic. I suppose he's always an alcoholic, was an alcoholic, whatever you define it as. So I, I know you were talking about your sort of cynical view, and you probably dealt with a lot. But I, I find it really hard being around drunk people. Um, my dad was never a nasty man. I don't want to get into too much, but he, it's not very 
drunk people do stupid things. So. Yeah. Um, anyway. I'm sure, no, I was just, I was just pausing to see if they were going to give us a moment to carry on, but uh, that's carrying on anyway. But, uh, hmm. but no, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've dealt with that sort of scenario uh, with alarming regularity daily. Um, without going into too much of the police stats, most of our, uh, I think about 70% of all police calls when I was in the job were to domestic disputes. Um, generally set in a, in a context, a deep-rooted context of dysfunction, but generally alcohol-fueled. It's amazing how destructive alcohol is. Uh, he says, sat here with a pint. But hopefully I won't but, be too destructive. But, then, but that's the whole thing about life in general, yeah. is you, you can deal with things and you can't, whether it's sex or drugs or alcohol. Well, drugs is a separate debate, but... Um, or work or um, abusing people on Twitter or being nice to people on Twitter, having a debate. Or, you know, some people, sadly like as you see with child protection aren't equipped and the first thing you need to be equipped with is love and to understand love and be able to give love yeah empathy um, no it's um, like you say some people um, have lived pretty sh- kind of sheltered restricted and ultimately quite sad lives and without and they haven't had that many choices and, um, and like you said they haven't been they haven't had the upbringing that has then given them the tools and the ability to kind of look beyond it or even get out of those the kind of sad circumstances that they find themselves in mm. um, and it's this environmental kind of thing it's well that's going to be that, quite hard to record <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should we have a little, just a little pause from it yeah because that's quite loud isn't it so we've aborted the podcast because the shouty drunken couple um, were very distracting for us and probably for everyone else. Yeah, um, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's sort of funny and sort of tragic. Well, very tragic yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, we won't know until the final edit whether you could actually hear or whether actually the words uh, for slash conversation was audible. Maybe you'll just get the sounds, which will add this kind of strange kind of context to what we were talking about but yeah we couldn't really continue because they were getting louder weren't they um i'm i'm really hopeful that you didn't plant them there because you were getting so bored because that they 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 the pitch and the tone and the frequency did increase as i spoke more but anyway hopefully <laughs> hopefully that wasn't the case and uh, maybe we can pick this up another time uh, maybe in a slightly different location slightly safer I f- location i feel like there's a segue into empathy and stuff like that but unfortunately i have to go well fortunately i have to go and pick up my daughter from nursery and again life has dictated today's path yes and i think that's what it's all about <laughs> I, I, what i wanted to do was talk about the present rather than the past and mm. talk about uh what you're up to and what we're up to and stuff and uh things well, should, we, should, we, should, we, should we just leave it there and say let's pick it up but let's talk about the now that'd be lovely too and maybe but if only five people future. listen to this i'm not going to come back to you Matt. no but well, let, let's let's try name. I don't want to be cold about let's it. Let's try name for low double figures, and then we'll be happy. Twelve. I know, but I was thinking like twenty-four. Okay. Well, if I would get to twenty-three, <laughs> I think you should give me a tenner. We'll do a sequel. All right. And if we do twenty-five, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a tenner. All right then. Okay. And if we get more than that, then we're going um, holiday together. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um. um yeah. I felt like that's kind of run its course. Okay. <laughs> Right, we'll uh, see you in part two. We'll be in well. Um, thank you very much, Matt. You're a lovely man. Do we now get a jingle? There will be a sort of, not so much a jingle, more a sort of uh, moody bit of electronica. Oh. Bye, bye then. See ya. <laughs>
sat on my sofa and it's quite late at night. The kids are in bed and my wife is away with work and I'm having a little think and I think that was really great um, despite the issues. Um, Matt is a lovely man. Uh, he doesn't just talk about cycling. If you want to have a look at his Twitter, it's Real Stevens. Um, my Twitter, I'm always here to talk about stuff or to have criticism as long as it's uh, polite is um, from Nick F-R-A-H-M Nick um, the company is from Jacket and we sell really really nice jackets uh, and they are available on fromjacket.com um, as ever you can go there and think what a wonderful thing and subscribe to our emails where lots of nice things will be sent to you occasionally or you can ignore us forever which is your right and it means I'm not doing a good enough job entertaining you um thank you very much to david roger again for dealing with a difficult set of sound and making the best of it and putting it together um and thank you to you if you would like to share this podcast with other people that would be a really lovely thing to do and please do have conversations if you can with people and listen because that will change the world a little bit at a time take care bye bye